Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Off Mic, Off the Record. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. Joining me this week, uh, deep breath because I don't want to screw this name up, McKenna Kazowski. Nailed it. Ah, got it right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So first of all, thank you for driving in. So I'm in Godly and you are in, can we call it West Texas? Yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> okay. So this is where we're going to, we're going to get, what is the, is Ranger Hill the dividing line? To be honest, um, I was born and raised in Southeast Texas, so I'm not sure I'm qualified to talk about this. Okay. We're in Southeast Texas. But, uh, Conroe. You're a Conroe person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the pride of Conroe is shared between you and Parker. <laughs> I think I think he's got a little bit of a leg up right now, but soon, soon, soon. Okay, <laughs> so I like that. So you grew up in Conroe. Did you go to school there? I went to high school there. Obviously, Oak Ridge High School. Um, so there's another kind of uh, discrepancy there because I technically grew up in Conroe, but really it's Oak Ridge. For anyone that's familiar okay. with that area. I'm not, but I'm learning. Here's, okay. a ge- here's our geography lesson. Yeah. Well, it's it's always interesting because Conroe is the closest thing and I can be, because no one knows where Oak Ridge, North Texas is. Because it's like, literally the town is the size of a post-it note, but the population is like a thousand, you know, one of those things. Okay. Um, so just square, square mileage wise, it's really small, but not population wise, if that makes sense. And, um... Conroe is the closest thing. And every time I say I'm from Conroe, people are like, oh, so you spend a lot of time on Lake Conroe. And it's like, well, not on that side of Conroe. <laughs> I'm on the opposite end. <laughs> the <yeah>. other end. <laughs> I get it. That's super cool. Yeah. So what brought you to the North Texas area? Absolutely. So I actually went to college out in Leveland, Texas. Okay. Yeah. So I, I graduated high school. I'd actually never heard of South Plains College Okay. Um, until my sophomore year of high school. I was uh, playing music music at the time. I started playing when I was 13 years old and I attended a songwriting retreat with, um, that was put on by Terry Hendricks and Lloyd Maines. Okay. That's some pretty heavy hitters there. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, just being a 15 year old, uh, trying to write songs and play music as much as I could, I knew I didn't really want to go to traditional college. Um, right. You know, I definitely had the capability. Uh, I graduated in the top 10% in high school, but I just awesome. didn't. Thanks. <laughs> I just didn't um, really want to pursue a traditional career path. And Lloyd um, was super sweet and was able to get me in contact with the people at South Plains College awesome. and help me get scholarships to go there and uh, pursue commercial music. That's that. Did you graduate? I did. I graduated in 2019. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. I did not graduate college. <laughs> yeah, well, I was. it took me three years for a two-year degree, but hey, we did it. <laughs> So that's interesting college. South Plains mm-hmm. is a music school in a sense. In a sense. And I you're going to obviously know a lot more than I do. I just know from word of mouth there's been a lot of musicians that have spent time up there. So it has a yeah. heritage, a pedigree, if you will, for songwriting. Absolutely. Excuse me. And it's um I'm glad that I'm glad that I actually get to talk to somebody who's a South Plains person. I have a pseudonym that I write, um, like fiction under. Oh, awesome. And the character that I write fiction under went to South Plains college. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a good little, a little, uh, a little, uh, 
turn of cheek, if you will, there. So it's kind of cool. I went to <laughs> East Texas State, so I'm okay. a lot older than you. It's now Texas A&M University Commerce. Oh, okay. Awesome. So we call that the armpit of Texas. <laughs> it's in East Texas. It's up there. It was a very small school when I went there, and it is also a music school in a sense, kind of similar to that. Right. Uh, not like – UNT is a music school because that's more right. of like a marching band school, but there have been uh, several musicians that have been in that area. Uh, I don't know if you know the name Edie Brickell. So she was eighties kind of Edie Brickell and the new Bohemians. They had like a number one song. Okay. She went to school there. Uh, John David Kent. Okay. I've heard, I've absolutely heard of him. Uh, he, he's from that area. He's from the Greenville area. And so I want to think, yeah, I want to say he went to school up there maybe, mm-hmm. but, um, it was kind of a commerce was kind of a stop on the road musically, whereas South Plains is not a stop. That's a destination. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's a really cool place, and I guess the coolest thing about it is I've been fortunate um, to be in, in circles with, uh, you know, like backstage talking to people, and it's like as soon as you find out one member of the band went to South Plains, well. Well, they did too, or maybe they know someone else in the band that did go to SPC, and it's it's like an instant, oh, so you lived in Leveland for two years, <laughs> and it's just there's really it's really a small town, and um, there's really only so much to do in Leveland, Texas. Did you go to Lubbock a um, lot? Uh, actually, no. <laughs> what? Not as much as I had wanted to. I really I knew the route from my apartment to Blue Light and back. Okay, <laughs> like the back of my hand. Uh, but I never really spent much time in Lubbock aside from aside from Blue Light. Okay, and you know just playing shows around town. Uh, but the cool thing about it is you you those professors care so much. Everyone calls them by their first names. You have all their cell phone numbers. I was just texting back and forth with one of my professors today. And of course, I graduated what was that two years two years ago two years ago now. <laughs> and uh, I still keep in contact with them, and a lot of the other people do too. So if you meet someone, you know, I've been in Fort Worth, and there's a bunch of people there that you know, that also went to SPC and yeah. it's, you just have an instant connection. That's super awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you said playing around town, did you ever play blue light like the songwriter series? Yeah. Uh, I did that a lot when I was in college. So, um, I remember I had like an 8am class on Tuesday and I would still go to Monday night, do the Monday night deal. And uh, I'd be out till who knows. I'm pretty sure I kept Red Bull, um, afloat during that time period of my life. <laughs> you should own stock in Red Bull now yes. for that. Blue Light's an Blue Light's an interesting place. I have only ever been to Blue Light one time in my life, mm-hmm. and I want to go all the time. But man, that feel the history, the heritage of what goes on in Blue Light is spectacular. You think about all the songwriters that came out of there. Yeah. You now we're just talking about Eric Willis, Blue Light, Zach yeah. Wilkerson, Wade Bowen. Green, you just you, yeah, uh, Cleto, all of them just mm-hmm. go down the line. I mean, it goes all the way back to Buddy Holly. I don't know if Blue Light existed when Buddy Holly played, but you know, I'd like to think it did in my little <laughs> fantasy world in my mind. <clears throat> so, you said you, you, you started playing at an early age at 15, and was there a particular like vein of music that you were into, or was it more just you were a music kid? Uh, really, I I loved country music. Really, the first couple artists that really spoke to me when I was growing up, um, and this is 
actually after I began playing, I started playing guitar when I was 11. Um, and, and that was, I was probably just listening to whatever was on Top the radio 40. at that point. Um, but by the time I was, I remember I discovered Jim Croce when I was 14 and I really, Whoa, hold up. Pause, <laughs> pause, pause. You were listening to Jim Croce at 14. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Continue please. And actually I can think, um, of all people, I can thank Stoney LaRue for that. I, he, he, ah, yeah, yeah, he played that song box number 10 yep. at a show and he, he's, he told a story about how some hippie dude at a record store told him when he was 18, hey, you got to listen to this Jim Croce. And he said it changed his life. So, of course, me being 14, I was like, well, I want to be a better songwriter. I'm going to listen to that. Jim Croce. Yeah. And, and now I'm like, I, I love Jim Croce. That that record, that box number 10 is on, is uh, one of my favorites and of all time. And I think that's inspired a lot of my writing, um, very quickly I discovered Michael Martin Murphy in that same, yes. that same vein. Uh, I always loved Merle Haggard. Um, and, but I really delved deep into that. Um, when this whole, this whole like 14, 15, 16, this kind of growth area of, of that's like the beginning of my songwriting style is that yeah. something about I'm listening to Bobby Gentry, Jim Croce, Michael Martin Murphy, Merle Haggard. Um, you listen to re- to country. Pure country gold. (laughs) Yes. And that's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, But at the same time, um, I was also, I had had two older brothers and my big brother was showing me Pantera at the time. And so all of that stuff kind of combined. (laughs) Awesome. That's, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so you, you obviously a songwriter first, especially if you did songwriting camps and you're really involved in that. What was the, I don't know. I'm going to say the thing that decided to make you be music. I know you said you went and you got the degree, but I mean, what was that deciding moment? That music is it. Music's what my passion is going to be. Yeah. So there's, um, I think there's a couple moments in my life okay. where I had that same realization. Um, definitely most recently, and it's kind of silly to say this, but I had that realization about six months ago Okay. <laughs> again. And it was really important to have that in my adult life. Yeah. Um, you know, under the age of 18, I had that, uh, I really had that after talking with, uh, I mentioned that songwriting retreat I went to with Terry Hendricks and Lloyd Maines. And after discovering that, Hey, I can actually go have a degree in this and I'm not just like, wasting my life away, you know? Right, and that right. was kind of a moment where I was like, Hey, then I'm, I can really do this. I can really write songs and, and play music. And, uh, Terry Hendricks is a huge, huge inspiration. Cause she has, she has an entire ecosystem created. Um, I don't know if you have heard of own your own universe and she has these nonprofits and she mm-hmm. just, she really has an entire ecosystem of artistry surrounding her that she's created. And that was a huge inspiration, uh, growing up. More recently in my adult life, uh, so after I graduated college, I stayed with a friend of mine, uh, Rick Schindler. He's an amazing human being. Um, he's like a the cool uncle or like another dad. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing human being. Um, he let me Absolutely. crash at his place for about eight months in Granbury. And then from then, from there, I moved um, to Fort Worth. And at that time, this is all during a pandemic. Um, and at that time... I was really feeling uh, pretty burnt out playing music, which sounds silly because I was like 21 years old. I'm not going to say it sounds silly because I've heard that from a lot of artists because I'm sure you were, you were obviously like you're saying you were in the 
infancy, if you will, of yeah. a c- career. But at the same time, I bet you were probably running and gunning like everybody else was at that time frame. Yeah. Well, when I was in college, um, I mentioned it took me three years to finish, but uh, I finished with a 4.0. And I also uh, had promoted, had gone on two separate radio tours during that time. Oh, wow. And uh, fortunately, my professors were super, like they knew what I was doing. And I had all their phone numbers so I could let them know, hey, this is what's going on. I'll be right. there. And they were super, you know, flexible, but at the same time, it was a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Yeah. And, and just trying to promote a career. So when I moved to Fort Worth, um, and started to like actually pay rent, you know, cause like real rent, <laughs> I don't count level land rent. It's different. <laughs> it's different than Fort Worth rent. Yes. And, uh, and I started a day job and at the same time, uh, at the same time, I was ending a relationship, and that was a whole another aspect of, you know, I started out with, you know, two incomes, and then, you know, halfway through that, I had one income, and I realized that I was, That's I was tough. working, and, you know, what I was getting paid to work and what I was paying in rent were about equal, <laughs> and it was like, man, what am I doing? But it was in that moment, um, I was actually sitting at my desk, I had... Uh, gotten hired at a chiropractor's office in Fort Worth, and I was doing insurance and billing. Okay. And that is a complete 180 from anything I've ever done. I've always worked hard, but I've never like sat at a desk all day, five days a week. And this was my first kind of taste of that. And during that time period, I'd actually like put my guitar away, and I'd, I'd just there was a moment, which is crazy. I've been playing this. I've been playing guitar since I was 11 years old every single day. And uh, there was a time period that I put that guitar in a case and it didn't come out for four weeks. I remember it. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. And but it was in that moment that I realized uh, at this at this job I was doing, there was a definitely a defining moment. I'm not uh, 100 percent sure what brought it on other than making some life choices for myself, you know, ending a, ending a toxic relationship and really focusing on myself or I was sitting at my self healing. Yeah. Yeah. Self healing. I was sitting at my desk at that job. Um, and I got the itch to write and I was sitting there and it was one day I remember yeah. I got the itch to write a song. And then the next thing I knew I was bringing my guitar to work to play on my lunch breaks. Nice. Yeah. And constantly hiding my sticky notes from my boss on my desk <laughs> to make sure he didn't see you that I was not working on chiropractic insurance and, and billing. billing. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm fortunate that I was able to quit that job in July and I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it. Cause had I not have done that, um, I, I mean, I might still be sitting around burnt out, you know, it's true. I think, I think for a lot of creatives, people who are inclined to being a creative person that you can be stuck mm-hmm. in a day job and there's nothing wrong with working a day job. No, I'm not gonna say. I've had, I've had a day job for 19 years. Music is a passion for me. So it's on the side and some of the best people I know I've met because of my day job. Yeah. But I think for creatives being locked down, so to speak in that type of environment, like you said, that's the first time you had a job where you were behind a desk where you had to I have to sit and I have to do this. Yeah. All day long. I think it can, I think it can kill creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because it almost worked. It kind of did that at the beginning. Um, but then once I kind of decided, Hey, I'm going to make some positive life choices and, came uh, back. and it came back. Yeah. And, Good. Uh, Good for you. 
Yeah. And it came back in full form. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So with that is, is it, is it life that inspires your writing? Is it things? Is it embellishment? I mean, kind of talk, talk to me about your writing process. Cause you said you had the sticky notes, which I love that sitting yeah. down writing. So was it just things in life that inspired it? Obviously your life changed going through a relationship. I've always said that a uh, breakups are the best things that ever happened in uh, songwriting, but uh, kind of yeah. tell me about that. Yeah. So, oh gosh, that's such a hard question. To it answer. is. I always feel like, man, I'm not sure where songs come from sometimes. Sometimes I feel like they're, they come through me, not really to me, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, but a lot of the songs that I have written right now, um, all of them have something to do with my life. Okay. Like in some form or fashion, because I can't write if it's not honest in some way. If it's not real. Yeah. And it wasn't always that way. Um, I know when I was starting out writing, um, I was just trying to write kind of what I was hearing. And I was really big into like Texas country growing up and all of that. So, you know, I have a song on my first, you know, when I was going by Kenna Danielle right. called Between the Bottle and the Bible. I wrote that song when I was 14. There's, I didn't know anything about, you know, a bottle <laughs> when I was 14, but, um, you know, I'd seen it. I was playing in bars at that time. Um, but at the same time, I hadn't really witnessed that myself. Or lived through it. Or lived through it, you know. and um, Not a knock. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, though. No, absolutely. But there was definitely a defining moment where I was like, I, I wrote uh, a song called Across. I wrote it with my friend Bree Bagwell. And we wrote it about such an honest experience that uh, I had gone through. Um, and it was the... I remember we got done writing that song and I was like, no one's going to like this. It's too personal. And I thought that was a silly, looking back, that's probably the silliest thing I've ever said. There's no such thing as too personal when you're, when you're writing. You There's know? not, but you're always going to be your worst, your own worst critic. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's how it is. I think yeah. it's cool. It's cool that you did that. And I think it's, it's cool that you had the defining moment and that you understand that you can take aspects of your life. And you said taking aspects of your life. So I'm going to assume that there's a lot of embellishment in there, a little embellishment. Cause I think there has to be in writing. I'd say a little bit. Um, some of the, most of the songs that I'm writing recently, um, I've written so much this year. It's crazy and, and it's, it's refreshing, but a lot of that stuff, um, is, I would say at least 90% honest. Good. A lot of it is. Good. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's really cool. So, um, off of the, we'll talk about, throw this back for a second. So you said when you were doing, uh, under the name, Kenna Danielle, which you did a little rebranding, uh, you had a song on that release, uh, playing with lightning. Was that what yes. it was? And yes. you said that you said, that's kind of your fun it's going to be your fun, upbeat one. And one that you still take along now that yeah. you still, that's still in the set list, if you will. So let's talk about that song a little bit. Tell me about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote that song. Um, I believe I was 16 when I wrote Stop. it. Stop. <laughs> I, I know I was, I think I was 16. Um, I know I was definitely in high school, so I wasn't 18 yet. Um, and I wrote it as I was actually on a, I love the outdoors. I love being outdoors. And uh, this was a night I was going on a deer hunt, but really I was just going to sit on a tree stump. And, um, and Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, in, in Crockett, Texas, if anyone's familiar with that area. I am very familiar with that area. Perfect. 
Well, uh, we kind of, my family has a small little, little bit of acreage out there and, uh, it's small enough that we know our neighbors and our neighbors, um, have a small enough piece of property that we kind of share it. So they're like, Hey, if we're not here, you can hop over there okay. and see what's going on. And if, if y'all aren't there, we'll hop over there. And, you know, it's, you know, a little area, a nice little symbiotic relationship. And, uh, so this was one night I was like, yeah, I'm going to venture out and go a little bit further out and go see what's going on over there. And, um, I was sitting on a tree stump and uh, when I was walking back from the stand, I saw it was dusk at this time. It was pretty dark and I, I kind of got lost for a minute, unfamiliar property. And, uh, I found this shed and had these creepy bottles in it. So of course it inspired a moonshine song. (laughs) What else are you going to write about? (laughs) It's either that or you're going to write a song about a serial killer. Right. (laughs) So, I wrote that song, uh, and I had a pretty cool riff for it, and uh, I I still like the riff. You know, I um, I think my songwriting has grown, which is important, but it the is. song itself is still really fun to play. Awesome. You yeah. want to play it for me? Absolutely. Thank you. you feel that warm breeze are blowing can't you taste that cool mountain dew can't you feel that feeling by now you know that we gotta move cause I've been running that moonshine
Okay, that's a really fun song. And you were 16 when you wrote that? Yeah, yeah, I was 16 years old. Get out of here. I didn't write my first Moonshine song until I was in my 30s. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, kind of the cool thing about that that song, too, um, I showed it to my buddies, Jarrett Zock and the OSR band, and uh, they actually cut a version of it on, um, uh, they released it to radio, I think, like three or four years ago. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and it went to number two. On the charts. Number two. (laughs) And you got mailbox money. I did a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So cool. Okay. I know you said that you think your songwriting is mature, but I'm going to tell you that's not a bad song. I like it a lot. Thanks. Thank you. That means a lot. That's fun. And that riff (laughs) is sweet, by the way. Thank you. It's a, I still love playing it. I really do. (laughs) It's a fun one. It's fun. It's, it's, that's a, that's a, that's a get your toes tapping, a little kind of backbeat kind of jam that I'm sure a lot of people kind of really really gravitate to. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So you, after you left Fort Worth, you are now in Clyde, Tex- Tex- Clyde Texas. I am in Clyde, Texas. And you live in a studio. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah. Uh, if anyone's familiar, Jordan Tyler Haynes uh, has this house in Clyde, Texas called uh, Junk Drawer Records. And uh we started dating back in January and my lease was about to be up in Fort Worth. And, uh, I was kind of, we were playing shows together, hanging out and things were going great. And he kind of mm. joked one day, he was like, want to move in here? <laughs> and I was like, well, kind of, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so far so good. I've been there for about three months and, uh, actually coming on four months. And it, it's really interesting to get to wake up and just be at work, but yeah, yeah just be at work. But at the same time, your job is your passion. And so it's this beautiful, uh, it's so cool. I wish I had pictures to show you, but basically half, half of the kitchen is a studio and the other half is a kitchen. Um, and then the living room, half of it is a control room, mixing desk. The other half of it is a living room. And it's really, it's really fun. Interesting. Mm -hmm. A board in a living room. (laughs) Seems a little familiar. doesn't it? Seems (laughs) familiar. But not to the extent of what you're talking about. So that's, man, that is, that is cool. I don't know a lot of people that can, and I think you put it into words perfectly. Yeah. You wake up, you're at work and you're passionate about work. So I think that's a very important thing. And I tell you what, Clyde's kind of a cool place because it's not Abilene. It's not, it's just kind of there. It's its own entity. It's its own little community. So small town, obviously you talked about yeah. growing up in not Conroe. Yeah. <laughs> not Conroe, but around Conroe. Yes. And now you get to move back to a small town. Yes. So that small town feel, small towns are, are, are fun places. Godly, when we moved here, uh-huh. was a very small town. Thousand people. It was eight, actually 870 when we moved here. Wow. I don't know It's how many thousands it is now. It's ridiculous. People are building here this basically Fort Worth. Yeah. (laughs) But that's awesome. How I'm trying to think how I want to put this. Mm -hmm. Is there a different feel of your writing because you're in a studio and you talked about that passion? Is there a different feel to your writing now that you're there? I would say so. Absolutely. Um, there's a different feel to just my whole attitude toward music. Honestly, I used to get really uptight, um, about everything, like everything has to be perfect. And that, that was studio work 
songwriting, right. everything. And uh, being in Clyde and uh, just being with, with Jordan and watching his style too, um, it, I've gotten so much more relaxed as a whole okay. about, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the Ken and Danielle stuff. I love it. It sounds professional. It really does. Um, but I also know that uh, there was because we were going into studio and we had studio time and we had one day to get all the vocals cut. Um, I also know that there are things that we had to compromise on. There are things that had to be auto tuned because that was the only take we had. Right. And um, I'm I feel so fortunate now, like with my new single, The Keeper. Uh, if there was something I didn't like, I could just go recut it instead yeah. of instead of adding all this magic on it. It was like the magic was just this is what I sound like, you know. And, um, it's interesting you put it that way. Yeah. So, uh, I am a live music person or a live take person. Yeah. And so I think there's more honesty in live takes. Okay. Not a knock on Nashville, not a knock on anything. Right. Cause all that has its place. Radio has to sonically fit a specific way when you have a single. But I think over the years I have learned that like in your situation mm -hmm. where you're in the studio and you talk about, you're able to recut things that you're getting the creativity through inspiration. It's not through technology. Does that yeah. make sense? No, absolutely. Um, and the cool thing is too, uh, with Jordan's setup, uh, and I'm, I'm so fortunate that he, you know, it was, willing to produce the record and everything. And that's the other thing, his, his production style, you can really tell, uh, listening to my new song, the keeper. And that's why I wanted him to produce it. Um, was just, he has this ability to make something that's already good and then make it something great, like almost cinematic. Okay. Um, but that being said, at the same time, he's also a big fan of, and as am I, of let's get one full take, Get a feel for it. Let's listen back and then see if we need to recut something. Okay. Yeah. So like you're actually talking about doing a straight take, not having to do the the, the natural some mixing things. for something. For some well. things. Like I know we did that with my rhythm guitar track. This is also the first time that I actually played my own rhythm guitar, which is uh, I understand why in the past that was something that you know like we hired a guitar player, so let's have him do it. But I'm really proud that this is the first song that I played my own rhythm guitar for. I'm I'm a, I'm a decent enough guitar player that I, I should have been doing that anyways. And stop. You said you came up with that look when you were 16 and you're talking about now. Yes. You're a good guitar player. <laughs> Thank you. Take the credit. Thank you. Uh, but that was like the rhythm guitar track. We, I think we spent more time on setting the tone than actually like cutting the, I think we took like two, two or three takes of it. And that's not bad. Yeah. And then like one of them, like the first take, one string was slightly out of tune, took another take. Oh, another string's a little out of tune. Third take, that's the one. That's it. And uh, it's just so much more natural because I can honestly say this this is what I sound like. You know, if you come to an acoustic show, there's gonna be less instruments, but this is this is what I sound like. <laughs> I think that's I think this is an important thing. Mm -hmm. I um growing up, a lot of the music I listened to whether it be the nineties country, cause that's the era I went, I kind of did my formative growing my high school years. I think I found out very quickly that some of the artists I would listen to on the radio and go, man, their vocals are amazing. Or man, you know, this is in a certain way. And then I go see them live and I'm like, hold on. Mm -hmm. Is this the same person I saw? Cause that was kind of the, when auto tune really took over. Right. And uh, I think it's, it's really cool when you can have that feel, when you can listen to a live album, you can listen to performance and go, yeah. And sometimes even the live performance is better than the recorded. Yeah. 
that that's what's good about music. So you talked about the single, The Keeper. You released yeah. that. So since time's not linear, when you cut a, a podcast, so that released, tell me again, the release date? October 28th. Yes, I knew it was yes. at the end of October. So mm-hmm. since I don't know when we're actually talking when you're listening to this, but so October 28th, you had The Keeper come out. Mm-hmm. And um, what kind of promotion? Did you do promotion for Did you hire a promoter or did you do it? I did everything on my own. <laughs> awesome. All DIY. I spent a lot of time on YouTube beforehand, just like how to create a reel on Instagram. Nice. I'm still working on that. Social okay. media is, I'm, I'm trying my best to look at it as a tool and not an obstacle. But that being said, I, I really uh, took advantage as much as I knew how to this time around. Um, and I just spent uh, like... I knew the single was coming out pretty quick because I was doing the whole rebrand going by my, my, my real name, McKenna Kosofsky. I, I wanted now starting to book shows under that name, but I really didn't have any where to send my listeners or to show venues. Like this is what I sound like now. Right. And, uh, um, so I was ready to get it out as quick as possible, but still have a little bit of promotion. So I just spent, um, uh, I'm really fortunate. Uh, Jordan took some video when we were doing the pictures for the album or for the, for the single. Um, and so I could have some just like behind the scene yeah. footage to put out. I really spent some time on iMovie putting together a little tiny video, a little promotion, but nothing I did was like professionally done. It was, it was all DIY. Yeah. Um, and I just put it all out. I did a little, I ran like one Facebook ad and, um, just tried my best to get it out. I emailed radio stations myself, um, and I'm still in the process of working on my marketing strategy and, and all of that. But Good. You have a strategy. You have a plan. That's important. Mm-hmm. You feel yeah. like playing the single? <gasps> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Well, this is a new song, The Keeper. Resides in hidden depths of my mysterious mind. When I dream, she surfaces to toss her dread among my oblivious tides and drag me down to her abyss. There's no sense in trying to cast her away I'm the keeper Born to keep her at bay of where her waves would go I want pirate souls I've got mine to sacrifice I know I can bear her blows There's no sense in trying to cast her 
so much that's uh yeah that's that's pretty solid right there (laughs) (laughs) thank you um you live in a studio in a farmhouse yeah that's old farmhouse yeah have you had any supernatural things happen in that farmhouse so the crazy thing is i did write that song i kind of drew inspiration from a haunted house Okay. Not that haunted house. Well, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So I, when I was living in Leveland, um, there for about a year, I was living with a couple uh, a couple of my, my – my, the second year I was going to school at South Plains. I was living with a couple of my bandmates at the time in a rental house uh, in Leveland, Texas. And, you know, I don't want to sound like a crazy woman, but there were um, – some definite things that went on in that house that none of us could explain. Um, and we all had dreams about, I know one of us in particular, uh, me and my old drummer, Dylan Mitchell, still to this day, one of my dearest friends, uh, we both had like similar, similar dreams about the same lady. Like from what we could tell from our descriptions, it was like the same lady in the dream. I'm here for this. Keep going. (laughs) And, you know, it's one of those things we always kind of joked because on the breaker box in that house, all of all of the rooms were labeled like normal, like kitchen, bedroom one, master bedroom. But my room was labeled Wendy's room. Wendy's room. Wendy's room. Wendy's room. So we always joked that our our little ghost lady there's name was Wendy. Okay. And uh, there was all kinds of stuff that went on in that house, and um, that's really what that song. That's what inspired a lot of a lot of that song. All right. Yeah. So you said you had some unexplainable things happen. The dream, the dream coincidence thing is a little, little, little. <laughs> right. So what was some of the unexplained occurrences? Because I, I'm, I subscribe to the paranormal. All right. Theory. So <laughs> let's get into it. All right. Buckle up. <laughs> I'm here. All right. So the first, um, like the first week I lived in that house, it was all three of us. Um. Dylan and Wes had gone to the grocery store and I was just sitting in my room watching Netflix and um, I was, you know, I know what people are thinking. I promise you, I was 100% stone cold sober. It was the middle of the day. I was just watching some Netflix and all of a sudden it, it stopped working. Like it just turned off and like, that's weird. And then words started to scroll across the TV screen and it said, uh, it said, don't be scared. 
And of course, I was like, wait, what is happening? And of course, I was scared. And then another word said, come on. Like, he was messing with me. Like, why are you scared? So I freaked out. I ran outside. I waited for the guys to get there. They get back. They're like, what are you doing, crazy woman? I'm like, guys, the TV just started talking to me. <laughs> it was really weird. Didn't like it. I walked back in there. And uh, Dylan comes in to look at the TV. And um, as we're looking at it, and I'm like, Dylan, I swear to you, like, this TV was on. Now it's off. But then words were going across. And then as he looked at me, we looked at the TV, and there were more words that said, I won't let anything bad happen to you. That was the first thing. Um, Did you have a computer hacker that lived next to you that was doing this to you? See, that's what I thought because I was like, okay, this could be explained. I was still a little freaked out by it, but I was like, I just, whatever. So that was the first week I was there. I never had anything quite like that happen again, but what I what we did have, um, there was one day all three of us were sitting in the kitchen eating dinner, and uh, we watched the trash can just move like like three or four inches across. And, like, all of us saw it. No one understands exactly how. I still can't. I still don't understand it. Um, and I also had an experience one time. I was in the I was in the bathroom. And this was a particular bathroom. The, the toilet was far enough away from the light switches that you could see them, but you couldn't actually reach them. Gotcha. And I was sitting there. I was doing my business, whatever. I look over. And I actually watched the the fan switch flip on, and the fan turned on. I watched it happen. We call that poltergeist. <laughs> there were so uh, many things. I'm not doubting you. I just I, I get skeptical at times because I've oh, had a couple absolutely. of experiences that I can't explain. Nothing to quite that extent, <laughs> but um, um, did you ever do any research on the house? No, I never did. I would like to at some point. Um, I never did. I didn't live there long enough. I lived there for a year. Um, and the last thing, and I remember, like, it got to a point. Um, I've never been, like, growing up, I was never, like, oh, the supernatural is, is everywhere. Um, so this was kind of the first time I'd ever really seen something like that or been okay. around something like that. Um, but then... It got to a point where, like, it would start messing with me. Like, I would, like, just ask it, like, hey, I'm home alone tonight. Can you just not bother me? And it wouldn't. Um, but then as soon as the boys were back, it was like, oh, free reign now. <laughs> and, uh, oh, gosh. So that being said, that song is inspired about a, a little house in Leveland, Texas. So I, I believe that there are ghost spirits. There are things out there we can't explain. For sure. Uh, there's been too many things that I have seen or experienced, too many things that I've been around, people who have experienced it, it wasn't embellishment or dishonesty. I do think there's a lot of that out there, you know, especially yeah. when you watch documentaries and whatnot. But I believe that spirits can be attached to homes, items, things like that, because yeah. it's, it's the way it is. So I'm not doubting you. I'm just saying if you ever want to get a hold of some people that do some paranormal investigations, I know some people, and we can go check this house out whenever you want to. That would be so fun. Just let me know we're on this. <laughs> it's a contact on it. I'm saying let's do it, because this sounds like the real deal. It's tempting. There was some, like I said, some interesting stuff. <laughs> 
I've read enough Stephen King to understand that there's things out there that are a little wacky. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and really what it comes down to, I think there's every living thing has, has energy to it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I mean, it just makes sense that some of that hangs around, you know? Uh, I was talking with, I think it was prophets and outlaws when they were on here that maybe it's not necessarily ghosts. Maybe it's a different dimension or yeah. reality. I mean, I don't know. I'm like a different plane. That's kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't definitely don't have the answers, but I think it's a really cool thing to talk about. <laughs> so that light switch thing is pretty crazy. Yeah. The words on the TV, I'm going to say, I'm going to be skeptical yeah. with you and say, maybe a hacker because you're in a college town and maybe somebody's close by because yeah. you're talking about you're watching Netflix. So it's on, yeah. on the broadband. But the light switch and the trash can, did you ever hear anything? One time, but this is one of those things that I am kind of skeptical myself about because okay. it was coming out of a dream. And so to me, I felt like maybe it could have been like, I don't know, a version of sleep paralysis or something. It wasn't anything bad. I just heard like a voice calling my name. And honestly, that could be any dream I've ever had. So. Okay. I felt something touch me when that happened, but again, and could it scared me in the moment, but again, I was kind of like, that could be, could be sleep paralysis. Could be sleep paralysis. I really don't know. Could be. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> We're on the juicy stuff now. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever sought out going someplace haunted? Um, yeah. <laughs> Where at? Talk to me. Especially after living in that house. I almost like, I was so scared of it at first. And then I got to a point where if I was home alone, like I could literally just be like, Hey, Wendy, I'm not feeling it tonight. Just stay over there. And, um, I almost got comfortable with just knowing that like, Hey, there's probably something around and we're just kind of, we have an understanding. And so at that point I actually spent my 21st birthday in San Antonio and, uh, the Minger. Uh, I went to the manger, yeah. <laughs> I did the ghost tour that night, but also the Emily Morgan Hotel. Okay. Uh, which used to be a morgue. Uh-huh. And uh, there are some crazy, creepy ghost stories that come out of there. And the only thing that I had happen, I can't remember what floor it is. It's like floor 11 or something. Um, it, it used to be, uh, I'm trying to re remember... What that, that floor significant? I'm, I can't remember why. Um, did I mention it was my 21st birthday? Yes. <laughs> uh, so I don't remember the exact details, but it does oddly. You walk out of the elevator and it smells like an old hospital bag, like yeah, like yeah, old yeah. medicine, yeah, and like a baby. Yeah. And uh, as I was walking out of the uh, the elevator, I actually felt someone like brush right right past me i believe that could have been something yes and it was definitely and it was like when that smell was the strongest that i felt that like i mm -hmm. felt something's something. there and um it definitely weirded me out but <laughs> um you know yeah, i get it so i think i've talked i think it may, may have been on the eric wills episode i talked about i've had two experiences that i couldn't explain that happened one in my grandparents house my grandparents had a house in cleburne that was Old, old, old house, and I won't go back into the story for the listeners, but uh, I synced a person, an entity, a spirit. Saw something. Oh, my goodness. Like a body. Oh, really? Frozen place for 10 minutes. Couldn't move 20 minutes. I don't know how long I was there. Oh, my gosh. 
was at the stove cooking something. The house was set up kind of weird. And I saw yeah. like kind of, you know, when you can see something out of the corner of your eye, but it's enough that you can make it out. Not like, yes, man walking, not like toward, not like, you know, yeah, just walking. And I was like, mm-mm, nope. Yeah. And you never forget seeing something like that. No, no, never. No. Now I did have an experience and I haven't talked about this. So the ranch studios in Fort Worth, 95, nine, the ranch is in the jet building. And there's a lot of history. If you look up Jet, J-E-T-T, the Jet Building, and it used to be a brothel, and it used to be like a waypoint station. I mean, it's like old. Mm -hmm. And there's you can go on YouTube, and you can look up all kinds of videos from things that have happened there, different sounds. I don't know if you've looked any of those up. Like Shane Hollinger's been on air, and like you'll hear a voice. Oh, my gosh. Just like, stop. Like, you can hear it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So the day before they went into renovations, six, seven, eight years ago. I don't remember how long it is. They renovated the entire building. It's owned by the Bass family. And they moved across the street to the Bank One Tower or the Wells Fargo Tower for years, for like three years they were doing renovations. And I was there for the morning show and we're talking six o'clock in the morning. So it's just us, none of the salespeople. It's a three-story building. And the basement at that time was kind of like the lounge area. Yeah. And so I had my backpack when I was went downstairs and it was like, we're talking empty because they'd moved almost everything. It's the last day before the renovations. And I had set my bag down. Didn't feel right. Like I just felt something. So go back upstairs. And I remember going back downstairs and I swear the door that went to the bathroom down there was closed when I went upstairs. Yeah. And when I came down, it was open. The light was on. (gasps) I'm telling you, there was nobody else in the building, but, us yeah. in the studio. Oh gosh. See, and that's the thing in, in a building like that, that has had so many different, it's been used for so many things. And regardless, like even if the building itself isn't uh, like historical, but just the land that it's on. I mean, this, this world is so much older than we could ever imagine. And, mm-hmm. and energy doesn't, it just doesn't just go away. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cool. I love this stuff. I love this kind of stuff. <laughs> but I do want to know where this house is in Level Land because I do want to go check this house out. We have yeah. to find out from the landlord. I'm sure they've got tenants living there now. But like, hey, yeah. could you like for one night go stay at the Holiday Inn over in uh, Lubbock and let me uh, set up some cameras and do a little. Well, and get this. Um, I just remembered this, but I didn't find out about this until after I'd already moved out. Um uh, my bass player at the time and uh, drummer were the ones that found the house, and uh, I just kind of hopped on the lease like a month into it. Right. Um, but they said when they found the house and they went to go look at it, the renter was showing them it, um, or the landlord was. They said they opened up the house. It was completely empty, and there was nothing but an eagle, like a statue of an eagle, just standing right in the in- like entrance hallway. That's it. I was like, guys, that's how how every horror movie starts. (laughs) Why is there a pair of pink kid socks on the floor? As soon as you walk in, this is weird. Right? Did that curtain move? Nah, it'll be all right. Let's run it. Let's run it. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, they didn't tell me that until after I moved out. I was like, oh. (laughs) That's a little strange. Yeah, just weird stuff. You told me. You're rewatching Dexter. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe Great show. I love Dexter. <laughs> My wife hates 
that I've seen Dexter and I've seen him many times, and I've watched the series, binge watched it. <laughs> and the first episode of I'm not going to say a reboot; it's like a continuation. Was on two nights ago. Oh. I've recorded. I haven't watched it yet. That's why I'm rewatching it because it's been so long since I since I watched it um, that I'm like I need to refresh my memory so I can watch the new series with with like 100 percent um, focus. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good one. It's a it's strange. It's a it's a strange show for people to be obsessed with. The good guy is the killer. Yeah. What a concept. <laughs> He's a serial killer. Yeah. He murders somebody every episode. Every, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there might be one or two he doesn't, but he kills somebody every episode. Uh, yeah. But he's the good guy. But he's the good guy. It's interesting. He only kills bad people. So. Uh, yeah. I mean. But who's judging who's bad and good? Right. There's the Dexter. catch. <laughs> Dexter's judging who's bad and good. <laughs> and then he falls in love with another serial killer. And, uh, yeah, uh, man. That season. <laughs> it's a good show. I love it. It's a good show. Yeah. Is music a passion or obsession for you? A passion or an obsession? I would have to say it is a passion. To me, Writing is the obsession. Okay. Let's get into it. Yes. Um, that's one thing I have found out about myself in the last year or so. I am a writer first. Love it. Um, when I started playing music, that was separate from writing. Um, I started, I've always been a writer from the moment I could pick up a pen. Uh, and then when I was 11, I started playing guitar. I fell in love with just the sound of, I fell in love with, with guitar particularly. Um, and I, I wanted to be a guitar player. And it wasn't until I was, uh, I didn't realize I was doing it, but I started to mix um, my little poems I was writing with the chords I was learning. And then uh, somebody told me I was a songwriter. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> this is why I play music. And uh, then I realized, well, if I want people to hear my songs, well, then I guess I need to learn how to sing. <laughs> and uh, That's a yeah. good part of it, too. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. So you said you, you are a writer first and you did. So was it poetry or was it like, did you ever do any like fiction or has it always been like poetry, prose kind of stuff? It's always been poetry or like short stories. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and even the poetry was more like freeform. Uh, you know, I'm not a like big haiku writer, uh, which those are beautiful, but I like free form and limericks, things like that. Yeah. I, I write my songs a lot in limerick form. I'm noticing um, things like that. You get super technical there. <laughs> limerick form. So I, I studied English and creative writing and when I was in school. Cool. And so that kind of led to, I'm obsessed with writing and it's not like, it's not songwriting. It's not poetry. It's not yeah. prose. I'm just obsessed with the art of writing. Yeah. I write every single day and it's not necessarily a big long dissertation, but it's, I either write a hook, a melody, an idea for a short story, a, a thought, a journal entry. I write, but I'm also obsessive about manual writing. Yes. <laughs> I love 
pen to paper. Yeah, me too. Love it. It's a, it brings me back and I can just write some nonsense and sometimes creativity comes out of that. But I feel like if there's a day that goes by that I don't write, that's how I know it's obsession. Something's missing the next day. Yes. Like I feel lack of accomplishment. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I feel the exact same way. Um, and, and like you said, it's the manual like action of mm-hmm. putting a pen to paper um, is so important to me. I have to do it every day. Yep. Every single day. If I don't, like you said, something's missing. Um, and music is a very close second to that because if I go a day without playing guitar, uh, I do feel that, but it's a different it's a different, different draw. Yeah. It's a different draw. Uh, guitar is, like I said, a huge passion of mine. I could never live without it, but really if I had to choose between the two, I have to have a pen and paper, you know, fist pump there for that one. Yes. So with your writing, and I know you do that. Do you do a lot of co-writing? I haven't here recently. Well, here recently, uh, really I, I like to co-write, um, I've been writing recently with Jordan Tyler Haynes. Right. Uh, we've written a couple songs together. Uh, my friend Carrie Lick, we've written a little bit. No, Carrie. Oh, she's a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I've written a little bit. I've written a couple songs with Bree. Okay. Bree Bagwell. And um, uh, really the main thing is, gosh, Ray Wiley Hubbard said it um, on a podcast, actually. I hope I don't – I'm go- not going to try to – mess up his words, but he stole this quote from someone else. It's kind of like, uh, you're kind of like an old cat having kittens. Sometimes you just got to take off under the porch and get it done by yourself. (laughs) That's how I feel with writing a lot of times. Good. So you're more of a, more of a, the solo. Is it the completion of it? The solo completion? Like you feel like you're completing something or is it? It's mainly, um, I think a lot of it comes down to it's so much easier for me to sit down and just press record on my phone and just kind of talk through a song or, or write it down. Uh-huh. Just spend even when I'm co-writing uh, like the little bit I've co-wrote with uh, Jordan Tyler Haynes. Uh, we'll come up with something together and then I'll walk away and write something and come back or he'll walk away. And it's kind of like just having that freedom in your own brain to be like, well, I'm going to write this down. It might be stupid, but no one has to hear it. And then I'm going to work it out until it is something good. And then I'll present it to my co-writer and go, Hey, what do you think about this? A lot of times, um, a lot of times I'll bring a co-writer in if I'm having trouble developing an idea, Okay, like the idea is already there. And then I'm having trouble developing that idea, um, and finishing a song. Um, there are, I love to co-write when I can though, because it all, it's really interesting to watch someone else's process. And that's something that I love, you know, really I have a passion for learning. And so when you watch someone else's process, um, you can't help but learn from that as well. So it's fun. I wish I did it more, but naturally I like to be a, nothing wrong with it. I think, I think anybody who is opposed to one or the other is narrow minded. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I love to co-write, but I have found more recently. So I did co-writing first as far as recorded music. Mm -hmm. And I found more recently that I need to finish projects myself. Not everything, but I feel the need for the completion. Like if I get to a thought and I'm like, well, I could do this with so-and-so. Now I'm understanding the, like you're saying. Yeah. 
going and doing it myself because then I feel the accomplishment. I may think it sucks at the end of the day, but I mean, you are your own worst critic. That's the truth. Everyone's always your own worst Absolutely. critic. Absolutely. <laughs> So you do, you've talked about you've rebranded. So you're you're not necessarily starting over. You're just going a different direction. So what steps? Let's say you're you talked about going to that 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 seminar, that clinic with other people. What steps mm-hmm. would you give advice to the the 16 year old you? That's a different person that's getting into the business. What's that? That you get five minutes to to tell them. What steps do you need to take to go from that batch back porch picker, novice artist to recording your first thing, doing your first tour. What are the things you would give the advice? I would absolutely, I mean, just for me, myself, uh, if I could go back and talk to 16 year old Kenna or McKenna, I would say, uh, first of all, practice more. (laughs) Second of all, uh, just be honest. Uh, it sounds silly, but that was something I had to learn as a writer. And number three, know your worth. Um, yes. Yeah. That's a big one. I like that. I like how you say know your worth. I think I've been in this business for many years and I think a lot of people have, I don't want to say this the wrong way because I don't want to offend anybody or have it come off strange. I think a lot of people when they first break into the business, look for validation and people they've looked up to. And I think sometimes that validation isn't validation. It's bad advice. And I think they maybe put too much weight into some of those things. Does that make sense at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. There were a lot of things that I did growing up uh, just because people that I respected uh, told me to do that. But then again, and I didn't really have, I didn't come from a musical family. Right. Uh, I mean, my dad plays a little bit of guitar, but uh, he, you know, he never pursued it professionally. I think the last, the only time he ever touches a guitar is when I come home and bring my guitars home. Okay. And, uh, so I didn't come from that and they of course were just trying to find steps for me too. When I was growing up, you know, trying to put me in places where I could learn myself and learn how to book shows and do that thing. But there were a lot of steps I took that cost me, uh, time and money just, and it's all a growing, uh, it's all a a growing pain, you know, it's just part of it. it. Good way of putting it. It's growing part of it. Yeah, but uh, really, I wish I would have been looking at uh, you know less of the people uh, that I knew and loved, and more of the people that were actually like out there doing it now, like the way music is today. You know, it has evolved a lot. Yeah, it's evolved a lot. It evolves monthly. It does the the entire, and it's not. I'm not going to say just the scene because this is this whole podcast is about independent music. It's not just about Texas. Right. It's not just about Red Dirt. It's not just about that. But yeah, I think in the time that I've been involved in the industry, I watched a steady but a slower growth. So you think about the roller coaster. We were on the uptick. Tick, tick, yeah. tick, tick. Now, since social media has been, it's everywhere. Social media, you have to have a social media presence. You know, people subscribe to podcasts and music services and streaming services, and everybody wants the now. They want the flavor of the yeah. minute, not the flavor of the week. Now it's almost like we're at the top of that hill, we've crested, and now we're just boom, full speed ahead. And you're right, it changes. And I think it's a double edged sword. It's good in a bad way. I think the good part is, is we're getting to see what didn't work and what should work. And, yeah. but at the same time, we're seeing a lot of things being praised that shouldn't be. And I'm not just saying musically like bad music. I'm just saying like in general, like right. actions and the way people handle things. 
Absolutely. That was a rant. I know it wasn't necessarily a question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. It's more rambling. I totally agree, and um, it's constantly evolving, and that's one thing uh, I feel very fortunate that. Uh, I mean, I feel fortunate that at this point in my life, I'm still willing to be adapt. You know, to adapt to things right. like that. Um, you know, because there's so many great musicians out there, and the cool thing is the way the musical climate is these days is, I mean, anyone can grow a fan base. Yes. Anyone. <laughs> and that's the advantage of having streaming services right. and social media is you can discover music much like I discovered yours. Just, yeah. I didn't go out to a show and see you open for anybody. Mm -hmm. I found you online and I was like, Oh, I really like the sound. And then I dug in more and then I got to talk to you. And then we got to go through all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It is the line between how people consume music now is so much thinner than it used to be. Yes. In my day, if it wasn't on the radio or it wasn't at the, the music shop, the music store, because we had record stores back then, mm -hmm. you probably weren't going to find out about it unless somebody showed it to you. Right. Now I can go on to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, what, snap to whatever and scroll and I can find something. Oh, Hey, what's this? And then I can do my own research. Yeah. It's cool. It's really cool. And, and it's easy to look at it as an obstacle and some, some days and I have to work with that myself, right. you know, just being an independent musician. But at the same time, uh, because of all this new technology, I also don't have to have a huge label backing me to record a record. No, you don't. <laughs> I can record a song in my house. <laughs> yes, you can. So, um, so yeah, that's what I do. And I, I'm, and you live in a studio, so you have that advantage. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and I do feel very fortunate for that. I'm not discounting that at all. But the, I mean, really what it comes down to is with, with all the technology, if you're willing to put in um, in the work to either learn it or find the people around you that are capable of learning it, then you can do it. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so I know you released uh, The Keeper as a standalone single, mm -hmm. and you told me you have a lot of music in the can. So are there plans on an album, an EP? I mean, what what's next? What's in the works? I do. So as we were talking about just the whole climate changing and everything, it's I'm still grappling with it because naturally I want to put together a complete album and put all this work into it and release a full length. Um, and I still want to do that at some point in the near future. Um, but for 2022, as we're going into it, I'm looking at releasing, um, I've written a lot of songs kind of in that spooky vein okay. recently. And so I would like to kind of release it bit by bit over 2022. And then, um, I want to do a limited edition, like, run of hard copies or something uh with all of those spooky songs together on one project um at the end of 2022 hopefully in time for halloween so you're saying a hard copy are you gonna do cds vinyl albums maybe i'm hoping for vinyl yes um i'm that is my my goal uh, and I'm also going to have some stuff on there that you can't get on the streaming services. Nice. Uh -huh. awesome. I'm not sure what that's going to look like just yet. Uh, my goal is to have, uh, like I said, I'm a writer first. So I'm, my goal is to have some stuff on there that is uh, unique stuff that's not going to go on Spotify, but is going to go on that uh Whatever hard copy, I'm hoping for vinyl. Whatever the physical thing Whatever is. Whatever the physical thing is, stay tuned. <laughs> More to come. More to come. But yeah, so there's a little spooky, spooky chapter coming out for sure. All right. Bit by bit. <laughs> so 
is that kind of the direction you're leaning? Or is, it, or is this just going to be kind of like a right now thing, the spooky releases? Or do you think? Because I like I like the uh, the feel to it. Thank you. Um, I right now I'm really really loving living in this vein. Um, there are some other songs I have. Uh, it's my writing style differs. And that's one thing when I did the rebrand to my, my real name, McKenna Kosofsky that I'm really leaning into is it's less of what genre am I, am I? It's more of what genre is this song? What is this song good. asking to be? That's ex- I'm glad you said that because that's good. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's not a knock on any genre name, anything like yeah. that. But I think whenever you can diversify your music and your catalog that way, I think you, you'll have more success and better growth that way. Thanks. I think so. I think so too. And, uh, in the past I was so worried about, Oh, I want everyone to like it. Well, I'm fortunate now I've had enough. I'm, I'm still a, an infant obviously in this industry and just in life in general. But, uh, I'm really confident in, I don't want everyone to like this. I want the people that, uh, have the capability of appreciating this form of art to like it. Not okay. everyone's going to like it, and that's okay. Um, that is okay. But I want the people that have the opportunity to like it to be able to hear it. And uh, the main thing is just writing toward the song. I have to write for the song, really. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, McKenna, we've been sitting here just kind of going all over the yeah. map <laughs> on topics, and that's the whole idea behind this podcast. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Is I wanted to freeform – I don't know, uh, however you're going to describe this, a platform or whatever, to be able to discuss songwriting, but life at the same time with musicians, to be able to share ideas, meet new people, and really give an audience, give the consumer a view to an artist that they may not have seen before or Mm -hmm. heard before, or somebody they're familiar with, a way to look at a different perspective of an artist's life. Because I think some sometimes when you listen to music, especially music, when you listen, you kind of form an idea of what you think the person is. Yeah. And a lot of times you're off base, you're off target because that's just who we are. Oh, well, this person wrote, wrote this song about this and this person wrote this yeah. song about this and this person wrote the song about this. So that's how they're definitely are. Uh, we talked about this earlier, yes. embellishment and things like that. <laughs> Doesn't mean that's who they are. Yes, there's going to be bits in every song that you write. And that's kind of what I wanted this to be. And yeah. The, yeah. Absolutely. And man, I appreciate you having me. Yes. Having me here. I know it's been man, you've been so flexible too oh, working it's all with good. me through all the all the randomness, but thank you so much. I'm I'm super happy that I finally made it out here good. to do this. Thank and you. I'm really enjoying listening to uh, you know, my my drive today. I well, was listening appreciate you listening. To it. Absolutely. So in the 13 years in the music business, everyone always asked me when uh when we would go to commercial break on the uh, live show Hey, what do you guys talk about? And I have to tell them, you know, uh, or for backstage, whatever, what's it, what's it really like? Uh, we're talking about how's your dog? What's, uh, what's on food service? Where's the clean bathroom at? How far to your next gig? We talk about life yeah. because our paths don't always cross. And so when we did our live show for TXRDR, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. We're just playing catch up. There's no, there's no, um, uh, wizard behind the curtain, no yeah. crazy Motley Crue parties. It's just us hanging out. I mean, yeah, if you want to come over here and watch me share a poem with somebody else, that's what it is. And so that was yeah. the off the that was the off the mic thing, the off the mic conversations. The off the record part for me is 
I've always been fascinated with new music and new music is not, it's new music to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean a new release song. It could be something I'm discovering for the first time. And the way I like to consume that is campfire sessions, uh, back rooms, co-writing with somebody, uh, at Steamboat, in a condo session, at Mile Zero, or just in the yard, getting to hear a songwriter share something personal. Yeah. And the ones that were always special to me were the songwriter would play something that wasn't I couldn't find anywhere else. Maybe it's a song that was in the back pocket, in the bottom of the notebook, in Mm -hmm. the bottom of the guitar case. And I always ask the guests, as we end the program, to close us with one of those songs that hasn't been released yet. Maybe there's a, a plan for it to be released. Maybe it's, there's a project coming soon, but it's just not quite there yet. And so I would say, Miss McKenna, what is that song that you would like to share with me? That is your off the record tune. Yeah. So I've been sitting here trying to figure out which one I want to pick. Um, but we kind of talked about that, that spooky chapter. There's, um, and I want to play a song that's not going to go on that. Okay. Um, because it, it might be a while before these songs see the light of day. Because right now I'm really leaning into this um, this other project that I want to come out in 2022. Um, but this one is definitely uh, more on that folky side. Okay. Um, and I mentioned earlier that about, you know, most of my songwriting, about 90% of it is... A hundred percent true. Okay. 90% of the time. 90% of the time. 80% of the time it works every time. Yes, exactly. Uh, this is, this song actually, and I thought about this song when we were talking about that, because this is the one song I've written this year that I feel like maybe a little bit below that 90% rate. The the rest of them are like 100%. I went through this and I'm singing about it now. This one came from actually a uh, when I was living in Fort Worth back in March. Uh, a friend of mine invited me to a Zoom Bible study. Okay. And I went to it, and I I really enjoyed the Bible the Bible talk itself. But uh, I I learned a new word in that Bible study, and it was the word tear T A R E. I'd never heard it before, and. I forget what what exact verse it was, um, but a tear is a type of plant that looks just like wheat. And the only real way you can tell if it's wheat or a tear is if you eat it uh, because it's poisonous. And so obviously back in the biblical days, this was a really big deal. Yeah. And the moral of the story was um, basically like beware of – you know, watch your fields because you never know when the devil might come plant some tears. Uh, good things and bad things look just alike, you know, and that was kind of the concept. Okay. And I loved it. So it kind of stemmed from that. Um, and I came up with this hook line. It was obviously springtime. So this song is called April's Fool. All right. Like a little play on words. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I finished it. And I, I wrote the first half of it, like I said, in Fort Worth, and I, I just recently finished it in Clyde. Um, it took me a minute. Uh, it definitely is the longest it's ever taken me to finish a song because it was over the course of a few months. Okay. And um, But I, I'm also really proud of it. It's called April's Fool. With a name like April, you should know 
So bring the storm, be gone before your garden grows. She'll sow your seeds, leave you pulling weeds. With a name like April, you should know. With a heart like spring, you'll surely see. Her amber glow puts on a show while she plants tears in your wheat. You'll be fully fed on her botulent bread. With a heart like spring, you'll surely see. You'll find it funny, she's your muse. Till you find out the joke's on you. Take it from me, everyone can see. You're just a With a soul like dove, you'll set her free. You'll arrive with grace, fall on your face when she clips your wings. She'll shoot you down, choke your sunflowers with clouds. With a soul like dove, you'll set her free. You'll find it funny, she's your muse. You find out the joke's on you Take it from me Everyone can see You're just April's fool March to your own tune You might Get lucky, April, May, fall victim to June, or me and you. It won't be funny that she's your muse when you find out the joke's on you. Take it from me. You don't have to be April's fool. Oh, just be with me. So you don't have to be April's fool. That's really good. Thank you. <laughs> That's creative. I, I dig that. That's you got some good little shots in there. I dig oh, that a thank lot. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that that's one that I'm proud of it, but it doesn't really fit the the you know the next project. So I'm hoping sometime in the next few years I can put that one out, but it'll be a while. <laughs> well, I can tell you it's gonna come out on this here podcast. Yes. Somebody's gonna get to hear it. Awesome. Uh so with the rebranding, do you have a new website up? I do. Okay. It's just my full name. McKennaKasowski.com. Dot com. Dot com. And I'll make sure your name's spelled right in the show notes. So, and I'll yes. tag it that way. They can look it up because Perfect. I'm going to misspell it because I'm horrible at spelling. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we can find your music right now. Um, so the new single is out on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else. And we can find the older project, which is under Kenna Danielle. Yep. And it's still out there on uh, all streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. So go check it out. You see you're playing live somewhere close to you. Go say hi. Uh, Visitor, do you got any merch that you're going to be selling with a new on there yet? It's coming. Coming soon. Coming soon. So I'm working on all of that. I'm trying to get some ideas for you know, stuff I would actually wear and want to buy. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right. Well, thank you again. I greatly appreciate you coming on and uh, looking forward to the new projects that are coming out and everything else that's going. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It really means the world. Well, uh, I really feel grateful to be here today. So awesome. Thank you. Well, until next time, friends, I'm Aaron Bentley, off mic, off the record. Adios. Off Mic, Off the Record is a Blacktop Poetry production. For more insight into your favorite independent artists and all things behind the scenes and in between, visit blacktoppoetry.com. Our theme is provided by Austin Upchurch. Go check him out at austinupchurch.com. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. And if you made it this far, you're either really bored or you fell asleep. Either way, thank you for your support, and I'll catch you next time. Adios. It's gonna be okay.